Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Welcome to episode number 58 of Private Club Radio. Happy to be with you once again here. Another Monday morning. Today's the Monday morning after the CMAA World Conference and Exposition. I was there unveiling a new partnership with Rick Coyne and a few others called Clubmark Partners. Had a wonderful time there. Got to run into a bunch of guests that we've had on this show. Made some new connections to get some new fantastic guests on this show. And just met a lot of great people. So if you were there, I'd love to hear your story about that. Write in and let me know what you got out of the conference, who you thought the best speaker was. That's how you actually get a lot of the speakers and the guests for this show is by hearing what people really engaged with at these conferences. So if there was someone who stood out in particular for you, I would love to hear about it. A little later on in the show, we are going to have the Masterclass, the first inaugural edition of Masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. We're going to be joined by Norm Spitzig, principal at Master Club Advisors, and he's going to tell us about what golfers really want. It's an engaging discussion that Norm and I had. I think you're going to get a lot out of that one. But before we bring Norm on, I just want to give you a little tidbit, something that I've been thinking about lately, something that was in my recent book, The Definitive Guide to Membership Marketing, which is coming out on March 31st. And you can order that at privateclubradio.com slash book. There's my little plug for it. But something that I've been really interested in lately is the art of the story. And how this all got started was a good friend of mine here in Tampa, his name is Mark Ensign, was speaking at a local podcasters meetup. So because I'm a podcaster here in Florida, a bunch of us geeks all get together on the second Tuesday of every month that we talk podcasting. Actually, it's a really good time. A lot of good people there and some interesting shows that people produce. Similar to this one, some very, very niche shows out there. At any rate, Mark was talking about the the how to tell a good story on your podcast. And I really think this is something that applies to every club out there. In order for a club to be successful in any of your marketing endeavors and any of your membership engagement endeavors, it's really critical to tell a great story. I think we all get caught up too often in talking about facts and opinions and news, but we don't really tell stories. And stories are really what people engage with. That's what people, we're wired as human beings to engage with stories. Since we were cavemen sitting around a campfire, stories were the way that we communicated. And so in this little monologue today, I want to tell you a little bit on how to create a compelling story and how to turn something ordinary into a story. So as I was writing the book, I asked Mark for his best advice on telling a story. And this is a direct quote. This is what Mark said to me. Most companies, and in our case clubs, tell their story by cramming as many impressive facts that most people don't care about into a wall of text. He says it's the equivalent of wearing all your jewelry at one time. It looks ridiculous and nobody is impressed. I love that analogy. What most people really care about is what you do, how you do it, and what you went through to get there. 
what your why is. People want to root for the underdog, the impossible journey, which is ironic because most of the struggles are the things that companies, and in our case, clubs, hide because they're afraid of looking bad. Love that quote from Mark. So I want to give you an example of how you can actually put this into practice in your social media, for instance. So the next time you're tempted to post the results of your next member-member tournament, don't just simply list the winners and their respective scores with a picture of them holding the trophy. Instead, here's how you can do it in a storytelling fashion. Tell readers of your social media page how Mr. Jones hit his tee shot into the woods, was nearly stymied, but hit an incredible fade that wrapped around the tree line, sailed just over the front bunker, and landed three feet away for an easy birdie to win out by one stroke. That's a remarkable story. And that's one that's relatable, and it makes the news into a story, something that people can actually connect with and really get engaged with. I'm sure just listening to that, you probably had a different reaction than if I was to tell you Mr. Jones and his guest won the member guest tournament with a score of 65. Yeah, that's that's really not that compelling, and we want to be compelling storytellers. And don't think that storytelling should be limited to your marketing efforts or your communication efforts. The club can tell a story in a lot of ways and should be telling the story in a lot of ways. Each one of our clubs has a storied history. And if you don't know what that history is, there's someone at your club that probably does. I overheard John Fornaro of Boardroom Magazine having a discussion with Rick Coyne at the CMAA. And John was relating the story. I forget what club it was, but there was a club out there that the course was actually built and designed by the superintendent, but for some reason, he didn't want people to actually know about that, so they put it under an architect's name. And years after, they discovered, while they were doing the research, that his four sons were buried in different positions around the course on some hill, but all pointing back to the superintendent's office. And I probably butchered that story, but I bet you can imagine that that is a pretty compelling narrative to be telling. That's a much more interesting narrative than just listing out who your architect is. That gets people really engaged with your club and your club's brand. I want to give you a couple other examples of how you can turn something ordinary into a story. And of course, you know, I'm a marketing guy, so my my stories are going to be more marketing related. But I think you could take what I'm saying here and apply it to other ways that you can get your staff involved or you can get the membership really excited about what you're doing. So here's a couple other examples that you could do on social media. Instead of telling people that there's a new off-season membership category to preview the club, instead you could show them photos of all the things that they'll be doing during their three-month trial membership. Show them pictures of people enjoying the pool, laughing over drinks, and hitting tennis shots at dusk. Make it a story of a day in the life of a member. That's something people can engage in. It puts them in the moment. Rather than showing a picture of a table setting for a wedding and letting people know that they should book their next event at the club, have one of the brides who have been married at the club tell the story of their wedding day and how it was the perfect setting and it was befitting of a storybook tale. That is how you can actually get people excited about throwing events at the club. Now, if you want 
a little help on how to craft a story, my friend Mark has some ideas for that as well. Mark got this formula from a guy named Donald Miller. And in Donald's book, here's what Donald says, makes every good, compelling story. It's actually a really simple formula. If you follow this formula, you'll craft a great story for your club. Every good story has a character. And that character has a problem. That character meets a guide who gives them a plan, calls them to action that results in either success or failure. That's the simple art of storytelling boiled down to its most bare bones elements. I'm going to repeat that one more time. A character has a problem, meets a guide who gives them a plan, calls them to action that results in either success or failure. If you use that formula, you will be able to develop a great story. Any great movie that you've ever watched follows that exact recipe. Every great book that you've ever written follows that same story pattern. Here's an example. Uh, Let's use, hmm, my favorite movie is Inception. So I'm going to use Inception for this. And I don't know if you've watched that movie, but here is the plot in a nutshell. There's a character. His name is Dom and he's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. That's the character. He has a problem. His wife passed away and he's haunted by the passing of his wife. He meets a guide. In this case, it was a Japanese businessman who gives him an impossible task. The task is to dive into someone's mind and extract a vital piece of information. And that resulted in, in this movie's case, failure because he got stuck in going down that path. But that's the basic plot of Inception. Now, I can imagine you maybe have never seen the movie Inception, so I'll come up with another example here of a movie that you've probably seen. Let's go with Shawshank Redemption. So there's a character in Shawshank Redemption. He has a problem. He was imprisoned for uh, a crime he didn't commit. He meets a guide. He meets uh, Andy and and Red meet in prison. He gives him a plan, talks about uh, breaking out of prison, calls them to action. He gives them the tools necessary, and that results in either their success or failure. And of course, he got he, when he gets out of prison, he realizes that the money is there buried in the graveyard, I think it was. So again, it's a very formulaic, but that is what works. If you boil down a great story, it has those, it has those common elements. So I want you to think about today how you can incorporate that storyline into your communications, not only your external communications, but maybe even more importantly, your internal communications, because stories really bond people together. It gives them a common history, and that really unites a club. And I think if you use storytelling in that way, you'll have a team that's united, the staff of your club that is united around a common core element. You'll have the members united around the story of the club, and you'll have a great story to attract new members to the club rather than just boring news and opinions and facts, stuff that will never differentiate your club from another. If you can build a story, that's how you can stand out from the pack. Just a little something to think about on this Monday morning. Now we are going to have a really, truly remarkable storyteller on with us right now. His name is Norm Spitzig. Here we go. 
And now, it's time for your monthly masterclass, presented by Master Club Advisors. Welcome to the inaugural edition of Masterclass, presented by Master Club Advisors. Each month on this segment, you'll get a masterclass on various industry topics. We'll be discussing topics related to board governance, becoming a better manager, themes in the worldwide golf and country club industry, and ideas to elevate your club service. Today, I'm joined by senior partner of Master Club Advisors, Mr. Norm Spitzig. He's an accomplished author, speaker, and consultant, and one of the few that CMAA has deemed a master club manager. Norm, welcome to Masterclass. I am happy to be here, Gabe. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much, you and your partner, Gary, for coming on as partners of this show. And I think you're going to be able to add a lot of value for our listeners. Tell us a little bit before we get into today's topic, just about Master Club Advisors and some of the things that you guys can do. Sure. Happy to. Uh, We formed Master Club Advisors about 19 years ago with the sort of naive idea that we were going to give back to the private club industry. And over the course of that time, we've uh, expanded what we offer uh, to the private club world. I think our overarching message really is, is that we want to help clubs and the people who both govern and manage them succeed over time. So we do that in whole four or five ways. The first is executive search. Uh, we've done about 400 general manager searches uh, with few of their superintendent pro clubhouse uh, people added in, predominantly general manager searches, both here in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, it's really a lot of fun when you find the right person for the right club. We're Certainly not the biggest, uh, but I think we spend a lot of time up front trying to understand what a club's history, traditions, culture really is about so that when we place somebody, they tend to stay for a long, long time. We're really proud of that. I also do a fair amount of strategic planning facilitation where I get to meet with club boards. I'm working with a couple of clubs right now, and that actually three clubs. And, um, you know, strategic planning sometimes sounds really theoretical and hard to do and I try to make it focused and actionable and kind of easy to understand. I think the best way to explain it, what I do is, you know, every club is on this continuum between being the most cost effective, that's code word for cheap and watching every dollar, (laughs) and spending like crazy and doing whatever anybody wants anywhere, anytime. And and the real Mm -hmm. secret is to figure out where your club is on that um, continuum and what's best for your club. So as an example, Uh, To do that, you really have to figure out what your club mission is, and that's who you are, what your core values are, and that's really uh, belief that you will not ever, ever give up, and then what your vision is. And the vision for me is really sort of a statement of mutually supporting uh, values that the club is going to achieve over the next, say, five years. Mm -hmm. So if you accomplish all that, I think you really will know better what your club is, and you'll deliver better to your members. Uh, like you, I tend to uh, get invited to speak to professional development presentations. Uh, you and I are going to Pittsburgh this fall. That's right. And uh, Greg Patterson and I have done spoken around the world, so I, I have about uh, 10 on the books this year. I really enjoy that. And I guess uh, the last thing that we do is these board governance or leadership workshops. And I have about uh, 10 clubs that I visit on an annual basis and all another 10 that I uh, visit kind of this time comes up and we talk about what makes a good club a great club and mm-hmm. what's great governance and how to develop a strategic plan and marketing uh, memberships which is i know near and dear to you you've got your book coming out and i right. uh, can't wait to read a copy so that'd Thanks, be cool Tom. well yeah one thing i really admire about you guys what you do over there is the education that you provide and you're not, you're so much more than just a, a company that's 
taking. There's a lot of companies out there that just take and they want to, you know, expand their business at the expense really of other of other uh, businesses that they're trying to serve. So I really admire that you you guys t- put that extra effort and really share knowledge with the industry. So thank you so much for for joining us. Okay, well, thank you. Now today's topic is going to be something that is near and dear to my heart as well, which is golf. I'm a avid golfer and you've got some ideas on what golfers in today's day and age really want. I know the there's been a change a worldwide change in terms of the the wants and needs of golfers. So Norm, can you take us through this? Well, sure. Um this is really a topic near and dear to my heart also. I'm uh have golfed basically my whole life. Uh, I got down when I was young and a little more supple to a 10 handicap. And now I'm about a 22 going the wrong way, but that's kind of the way it is. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's, it's really near and dear to me because if you look at golf, depending on who you listen to, um, golf is at best stagnant for the last decade. And, and it's, you know, is it picking up people? And it's, it's hard to do it. There's some great initiatives out there like golf 2020, but you know, even they admit that golf might still have an image problem. Is it a game of sort of the, the rich and famous, of course not. Ninety percent of the golf courses or golfers in the United States are public play public golf. Right. But there's some affordability issues. It does take a lot of time and, and millennials don't feel like they have a lot of time and a lot of people think we're very busy. And sometimes golf's just too hard. So there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna be a golfer, I think it's really, really important um that you understand what people who just like to go out and play golf really want. And this was near and dear to me. And several years ago, I wrote an article that, that tried to capture those. And I'd like your comments as I kind of go through some of these and see if you think it makes sense. And I, I think the first to. thing that when, when you play golf is you really want a well-paced round. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean three hours and 57 minutes or four hours and 10 minutes. I think it means more when you hit the ball and you get up to your, the shot you just hit, that you're not standing around waiting after every shot. Right. I think that is really, really annoying. You know, so th- there's a lot of things that people talk about doing. You want to play ready golf. That means if you get to your ball ahead of me and you're two paces behind me, go ahead and hit. Right. I think it means, you know, kind of uh, being aware of what people are doing around you. And uh, so that so that everybody, if everybody's playing that way, I think it kind of picks up the pace and it's more enjoyable for what everybody. What kills me is like when someone parks the cart on one side of the fairway and the guy goes all the way other to the other side of the fairway <laughs> and it's just uh, like some circus act happening out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, I know. A better yet is you see some guys playing in the cart and one person will sit in the cart while the other person addresses the ball, mm-hmm. waggles 37 times, hits his best <laughs> Sunday punch and he goes 50 feet, right. gets back in the cart and then they drive 10 feet and the other guy gets out and hits his ball. Right. You know while mean? the guy's still <laughs> watching. The driver. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Jeez. So, you know, a lot of it's just common sense and understanding what golf's about. And I really think that that would make it more enjoyable for everybody. So mm-hmm. certainly Absolutely. we agree there. Yep. Um, I think something else people really want is, is in, especially millennials in today's world that, that who are very, very environmentally conscious as we all are. I think people want to make sure that their golf courses run as environmentally um, well as it can be. That's it doesn't huge. mean we want to have barren golf courses because we're not putting any chemicals on, but the days of back when the superintendent just blanketed the golf course, with some sort of powerful chemical that killed everything six feet under the earth just because we don't need to live there except grass. Those days right. are gone. Sure. And I think people really want that. I mean, as an example, there's a club in, in um, Las Vegas that I worked with last year, and they had this 
big green area that cost them a lot to manicure. It was a couple acres between the first tee and the 18th green, and it looked nice. But they took that out, saved themselves some money, to be honest, and now it looks natural. So yep. um, they don't. I, I just think that's the way clubs are going. And you know, when people design clubs today, the designers are trying to make use of the natural terrain and the number of water, the acres of water, uh, water fairways has gone down. Mm-hmm. A lot of good things like that. So yeah. I think that's what people want to. And I think that you should put yeah. it front and center in your marketing and tell people about it or your, you know, if you, that soft marketing that you're doing for, as a club is let, let the millennials and the younger generations know that really care about that, what you're doing to improve your environmental standards. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if you do that, I think that would be attractive to everybody and, and certainly millennials. My, my kids, they're all millennials and they, my oldest son I know would be, you know, intrigued by that, especially. I know he is. Um, something else I think golfers want is they want make sure that everybody has equal opportunity to get those prime starting times. And, sure. you know, there's always these rumors going around that you, you see, especially in the private golf club world, you see somebody gets the tee off every Saturday morning at eight 30, if that's the prime time. And you always wonder, how does this guy get it? Um, and I think most of the time people are being fair, but if you belong to a club, I think you really have to have some system in place that allows everybody the equal opportunity. I know there's a ton of sophisticated ways of trying to do that, but if I belong to a golf club, I want to be confident that there's no shenanigans going on. And, you know, there, there's not in most places, and but my, yeah, every once in a while. I think on Saturdays at my club, the same guys have the, you know, the early tea time. And I would love that early tea time so I can get out, get done and be with my family uh, by some time reasonable. And they've got mm-hmm. a stranglehold on it. So what have you seen? I don't know too much about the systems that are out there, but what have you seen anything in particular that, that, that allows people to have some sort of rotation? Yeah, there, there are some pretty sophisticated systems um, uh, that, for instance, let's say, you know, you have a random draw. You have to have your name in there by a certain period of time. And if, let's say, 8.30 on Saturday morning is the prime tea time, <clears throat> that's what most people want. If you get it, the odds of you getting it the following Saturday proportionally decrease. Okay. So it's a, a sophisticated algorithm that over time sort of allows everybody to have access. Nice. You know, now, if, if your club doesn't have tea times, that's the place to be. Sure. <laughs> the ones that have times are kind of, you know, it's really going to be an issue. So I right. just think everybody wants an equal shot. That's agree. All. Totally agree with that. Um, you know, we watch Augusta national and we see people looking at the ball and having it roll, you know, 16 feet. You know, I don't think anybody expects that, but I do think people want smooth greens and an adequate pace and adequate pace, you know, you know, seven, eight, nine on the stint meter. We don't, we don't want to have to put it like we're putting on, concrete but you know i've played some courses where the ball you know rolled 14 or 15 in a stint meter and i won't pay the names of the club because <laughs> you know they pride themselves on that sure but i remember putting off the greens a few times you know mm. and i'm not sure people really want that so you therapy know, just for some me. people i guess <laughs> i don't see how people find that therapy. i don't, I don't <laughs> well, they get all their frustration the out there and they don't then they don't bring it back home maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe but i think most people just want an adequate taste you know and and what that is obviously differs, you know, if you're a golf club of low handicappers for, you know, which is just a golf club, that's one thing. But, you know, if your average handicapper is a 31.2, I don't think we really need to have the stint meter run into 12 all the time. So yeah, I agree. Me. I agree. I played a um, course out in, um, in Asia and I think it was running about a three and that's no fun either. 
Oh, no. <laughs> That's the one. You know, if you ever watched those old, remember the, the TV show, The Shell World of Golf? You may not remember that because you're before your no, time. No, I don't know that they one. Had yeah. like, but they had like uh, some pretty famous golfers and they play 18 rounds. And you'd watch these guys put on greens. This is like 40, 45 years ago, 50 years ago. And they would just, you know, have to really give it a giant whack to make it go 20 feet. Wow. <laughs> it's the time to change. <laughs> yeah. They really have. Uh, what else do people want? I think people want to make sure that they have a golf course that's set up so that every day, even though it's the same golf course, it is challenging. You move the pins around. Everybody knows that. You move the tees around. You have multiple access points to and from the greens, all those kinds of things. Uh, the club I mentioned uh, to you earlier, we were just chatting, is in Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm helping them with a strategic plan. It's called Oakbourne Country Club. It's great. And one of the guys said, we love our course for a lot of reasons, but it's a golfer's golf course. And I kind of love that phrase, that you can go play the same golf course every day, but it's set up differently so that every day is new and a challenge. I think that's what people want. You know, they don't play mm-hmm. the same way out all the time. Yeah, right. Um, the red tees or some from different tees and, and change it that's up. Right. I think that's fun. Yeah, I think it is too. I think it is too. And I think one of the things that, that golfers want today is we, we've, we're not all plus sixes on the tee and, you know, playing from the tee that's appropriate to our ability and our age is the way to go. You know, I'm, yeah. I've moved up a few set of tees and that's because I don't want to keep hitting a three wood in on a par four every time. And right. I think, <laughs> I, think most, I think most people have done that. It's just not fun. You're right. Yeah. So, I'm not a long uh, hitter either, and I'm oh, a, a lot of courses. I'm hitting four irons, three irons, and rescue clubs all the time, and it, it that that gets old and wears you out. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to play from 4,500 yards, but we want to have a you know a decent shot. I think right. those golfers want everybody else to do that. It drives me crazy when I see somebody in the back tee and you look at him, you know, he can't hit the ball as far as I can. You know, what, that, what's your awesome. ideal length out of curiosity, Norm, for a course? Oh, good. Um, I would say the most of the the length that I'm playing with my buddies when we're just going out in casual 6,200 yards, 6,062, 60. You know, when it gets more than that, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. When it gets more than that, it's just not fun. Yeah. Uh, for me, for me, now, you know, if you're really great, of course you want to hit. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you're driving at 300 yards, then that, that's, that's fun. (laughs) But most people aren't. What else do people want? I think people want to see that their course is maintained commensurate with the dollars that the club commits to it. You know, there are clubs that put $3 million into their golf course and everything is perfect all the time. And they're willing to do that as part of their club budget. And there are clubs that put $700,000 into their maintenance. And if you're going to do that, that's fine. You make a conscious choice. The governance does of a club to commit a certain amount of dollars. And then you get the biggest bang for your buck. So, you know, if you're going to commit less, then you probably shouldn't expect that 30 yards off the fairway, the grass to be lush. It's just not going to be. You want tees, greens, fairways. Uh, But I think people do expect sand in the bunkers, an edge on the bunker. You know, you don't want to hit it in the fairway and land into a puddle because no one sticks the sprinkler head and it's been running for two days. You know, just the kind of the basics. And mm-hmm. I say that because I'm sure if, you and I have played enough in different courses where I played some pretty nice courses where literally you will hit it out there at 200 yards and there's a sprinkler that no one really has attended to. And you can tell it's been a week and there's just mm-hmm. a big puddle there. You know? Right. So uh, I think people, and at least in the private club world, want to have a superintendent who will listen to them. You know, it doesn't mean the superintendent has to 
change his agronomic practices because some amateur tells him what to do, but it does mean that uh, he'll listen or he or she will listen to a suggestion that might make the club uh, course more playable, um, you know, uh, easier access. And sometimes people play every day, see things different. So uh, I don't know what you think about that. I certainly think people expect in the world of golf today that, um, that people are going to be courteous to each other. Um, I think golf is, I love golf for a lot of reasons, but one is I don't have my cell phone on when I play. I just don't, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm probably a fuddy duddy for that, but I like it because it's an escape from the real world. And and I kind of like the courtesy that goes with it. It's a gentleman's Um, game and I think it should be respected. I agree with you. Yeah, well, that that's a good in that really people respect the traditions of the golf. It's really interesting to me too that golf is a game that has a ton of traditions. You know, if you look at the rules of golf, they're pretty thin. But if you look at the interpretations that accompany those rules, you know, they're as thick as an old phone book. And so it's good to know that. But it's I think the proper golf course today is one that has traditions when you're playing a serious tournament but can also turn around and have a six hole tournament for the ladies where they drink wine on every hole and they have a, a two foot wide cup. You know, I've seen all kinds of fun tournaments and I think the, the balance between those two things are what people want today. Again, especially millennials. If you play golf just by the rules and believe me, I'm a big, big rule guy when you play, but you can have fun tournaments where you just go out and hit the ball and have a good time. When, when my kids were young, I used to go out and play with my boys when they were teenagers. And the way we played was, is I drove it off the tee and wherever my ball landed, that's where they played their first shot. Nice. Uh, the idea, okay. the idea was, is that they were rooting for me to hit a good shot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't behind a tree. Good vibe. But also, <laughs> but also, we they didn't have to take. You know, when when you're 12, they didn't take 15 shots to get to the the tee. Right. You know, yeah, so right. it was it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know what you think about that, but I think that balance is pretty important. That's good. I got a couple youngsters. I think I'll I'll use that tactic on myself. I'd like that a lot. Yeah, well, good. It works good. Always, I, I like to think it was original, but it was when I got it from a friend of mine, and he he did that with his kids, and one of his kids ended up being on the plane on the tour. So, <laughs> well, kind of cool. What's Greg Patterson's line? Uh, we are proud uh, club managers, and we will steal ideas wherever we can. <laughs> yeah, he said. Greg says that at the end of all of his talks, and he's got everybody pumping fists and everything, and he's, yeah, he's right. Good. He I really like is. Um, and I guess the last one is, is that uh, again, in the private club world, if you're a member of a club, you would like your superintendent and your pro, the two people who are your paid professionals in the golf world to tell you what's going on with the golf course. If you're going to be aerating, let us know by email or by app or on our website or whatever you're going to do. If you're going to put down yes. a chemical application, you're closing the course because it rained too much. Just let us know. Right. Um, really annoying if you get to the course and all of a sudden you say there's a frost warning. You know, I think those days are gone. If you're even mildly awake today in today's world, you can find out what's going on your course pretty mm-hmm. easily. But there's still some that don't do it. There really yeah. are some that don't do it. And there's so many easy so, yeah. ways to do it now. With you can put it out on your social media account, or if you have an app for your members, or email blast. There's so many different ways to communicate. There's really no excuse not to. Yeah, again, putting all these things in perspective, I think that the, the, the cool part about it is, is that once people are introduced to the game of golf and they kind of get over both the mental hurdles that it's too expensive or too hard, or too long, and they meet a pro who helps them have fun and they don't have to play 36 holes. Once they get all that, 
and they can really understand that most people want golf to be fun. Um, I think that's the strategy long term to get golfers and keep golfers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's just not, not me saying it. I mean, golf 2020 and all these, you know, uh, joint ventures between the PGA and the superintendents and the club managers association, I think have been successful. We'll continue to be successful to get people to play golf, but we've got to get people on the course. And once they're there, we don't want to, at least in my opinion, just become so rigid with the rules or so strict with all the interpretations or that, that it becomes, becomes not fun. And if it's not fun, people aren't going to do it. That's right. That's right. We need to change the branding of how we're approaching it. And these are the, some of the best tips that I've heard in a long time, Norm. I really appreciate you coming on here, giving us your masterclass. Can't wait to have you guys back on next month, you and your partner, Gary. One of you will be here joining us on Private Club Radio for another masterclass. Thanks so much, Norm. We'll, we'll talk to Thank you Thank you. To learn more about Master Club Advisors, visit them on the web at masterclubadvisors.com and join us next month for another masterclass. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you'll be back here next week to see us once again. As I mentioned, we have some great guests in the pipeline, some really interesting takes and some topics that we haven't covered, some new ground that we haven't covered on on the show to date. So hope you had a good time at the CMAA conference if you were there as well. And again, I'd love to hear about what you really enjoyed from the conference. Just reach out to me. You can send me an email. Contact me right through privateclubradio.com on the website there. We'll see you back here next week. And until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by the Private Club Agency the premier marketing and consulting firm dedicated to helping clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit privateclubagency.com to learn more.